when you're a new brand new startup and we're just getting going, it's really hard to allocate the resources to teach someone on how to do something. And so you have to figure out what that bar is. I think often it can be more junior than you think, right? You don't need a Facebook engineer with 30 years of experience to build a basic CRM. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Today on Scaling Tech, we are talking about hiring employees specifically onshore versus offshore, which is really relevant right now with today's hybrid world. We're talking with Joe Burgess. Hey, Joe, how you doing? We're doing well. Awesome. So before we jump in, uh, a little bit about Joe. So he started his career as a software developer and teacher at Flatiron School, who I personally love Flatiron. I've been a big fan since day one. And then as Flatiron grew over the years, Joe transitioned into leading teams of engineers, data scientists, designers, and educational professionals to build the education product that Flatiron then delivered to thousands of in-person students and tens of thousands of students online. Um, now, Joe is a co-founder of Ribbon Education, so carrying through that education right in your career, where you do many things, um, but really focus on both engineering and sales. Um, and so, Joe, we talked a few months back, and you told me that you think that you kind of hired wrong for a while uh, yep. when it came to full-time employees. And uh, given the fact that, you know, for the last several years, many tech teams have been hybrid, more remote than before, and um, and you kind of learned some stuff. So that's what I want to dive into today. So let's start with um, just kind of walk us through your journey and then we'll kind of dive yeah. into some specifics and things that you came across but yeah tell us more definitely so this was you know as we were i'd done a bunch of hiring at at flatiron school i mean i don't know we had 600 employees or something like that and so a lot about 150 on my team and so i'd done a huge amount of hiring but a very traditional style so all in person um all kind of you know we had an office in new york we had an office in london i was very the same style of hiring that you know, we've done for the past 100 years, 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, I think we did it well, but very kind of traditional. Now that we're post-pandemic, um, and I think, you know, the whole world of hybrid work and remote work has really shifted. And additionally, now that I'm a, a founder of a company and trying to manage, you know, how do I do cash-efficient innovation, um, we, we kind of looked into what is an onshore versus an offshore resource, how are the price differences, um, on, on salaries and then what's the quality difference and not just quality of work, but quality of, um, team culture and, and, and kind of building a team that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, and so right out the gate, I'm going to be honest, I had no idea what we were doing to hire offshore. I asked a few friends and the answer was go find some people on Upwork and then, uh, you'll kind of take, you'll start learning from there. Um, and so that's what we did. So the first you know, I wrote one half of the app. The, another half of the app was written by a person I found on on Upwork. And the thing I, I and I kind of went through a bunch of people. So I would say in the first six months of the company, we went through four contractors through Upwork. All which, working at different times. All so. working at different times. It wasn't that I had a team of four. It was when we had just started. We 
barely wow. raised money. So we, I was just me and another person. And we'd gone through four in, in four months or something like that, four and five months. That's a lot. And it was a lot. Exactly. It's terrible. And um, I had this moment of, is this just some kind of fake thing people talk about on Twitter and that it's, not, it's actually a terrible experience to work with offshore teams? And I found that hard to believe. And I talked to, um, so I talked to a few of my other friends who are leaders of offshore teams. And they just said, look, you're just hiring. Um, you're just looking at the wrong people your interview is completely off um and ultimately you need to think about this much more of a the same experience of how you did interviewing and hiring for your onshore and normal resources they just happen to be located in, in poland or in, in whatever um and uh and that was helpful to me it was um a friend of mine who's one of the co-founders of recoded which is a non-profit um they they're based all over the world and um that's when i kind of like took a step back and then really thought through what i wanted to change um i like I honestly stopped trusting some of the platforms as much um i think you can i mean i've always known this but it reminded me of that a resume can embellish uh <laughs> a resume can be very kind and um really moved on to a moved off of the Upwork style things and moved on to really recruiting agencies and staffing agencies that have a really mature recruiting process and, and premature recruiting um, flow before they kind of get to me. And then also upgrading my own interview questions and what I was looking for in, um, in, in talent that we were hiring offshore. Okay. So um, I have many questions. Um, but um, I want I want to know like it, you you had talked through this a little bit just now, but um, was there a single moment when you realized that you had like made a mistake? Because um, you know you went through four people and then yeah. so you did reach out and ask someone, okay, what you know, give me some that advice was... and feedback. But there was like, was it yeah? Was it was it the folks were were leaving? Were they not? Were were you letting them go? Like at what point we were, were like, oh, maybe. Okay. So it was all contractors, and so it was all okay. short-term things. We we're just not renewing contracts. Okay. Um, and the the turning point for me really was a conversation with um, oh. Ali um, from Recoded, which was she was the co-founder of this Recoded. They're an amazing organization. They teach uh, refugees um, in the Middle East. They're incredible, and um, she has a team all over. She's a team of sixty all over the world, and she's like, you just have to be, you have to be okay with turning someone down because their English or communication isn't good enough. Oh. And for wow. me, I really, I come from my last job. We were trying to create opportunity for people who hadn't had the opportunity. And I just wanted to say, you know, like I can only speak English. I really struggle to learn other human languages. I can learn programming languages pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but human languages I struggle with. The folks I'm working with know four languages it's okay if their English isn't perfect. You know, we'll communicate more via written and or it'll be a little bit slower or something like that. But I think the the turning point for me was honestly just a bit of the maybe a license or a an acceptance or an okay from another person that if the person you're interviewing who you really want to bring on as a member of the team, this is not just, hey, go build a landing page, here's the exact spec, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be incredibly excited about someone's technical skills, 
and still pass on them if you're just like, I just couldn't communicate well with them. Yeah, and I think I think this this is um, highlighting a very important you know um, point, which is okay. What what are the requirements of the job? And um, and I think that's tr- that there are many things where um, you really have to kind of write write it down and really understand what those boundaries are, right? Yeah, because you have to be able to a team ought to be able to communicate at X Y Z level. Yeah. So that you can get work done right efficiently, and I think what, whatever that is for each team might be different, and it also is going to be different based on the work, right? If there are clear specifications that you can bring to a team, then their technical skills are the are the requirement for the job, right? And the verbal yep. communication skills are are not maybe as important in that case, right? But if there's communication, if there's one on ones, if there's daily stand ups, then certainly the feedback, and for and for the other person as well, right? The other yeah. person. Um, needs to be able to understand what 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 they could ask of you as well, right? And you don't speak their language, so you're probably not fulfilling their requirements either. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's... Um, that, that's really interesting. Now, did you did you learn anything? Um, uh, uh, any uh, things that you're leaning into, or any things that you're running away from from all of your time at Flatiron? Because I know at Flatiron, yeah, of course, um, you've you've not only hired lots of folks, but also trained yeah. <laughs> tens of thousands of folks. So yeah, so how, and those, those folks have then, you know, gotten hired at companies, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, what lessons have you learned from that that journey? I mean, one thing I'm, I'm just very grateful for is I really think that being a teacher and being a manager have a lot of overlap skills. Mm-hmm. And so I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to teach for three years because as a manager, and I was a manager at Flatiron School, and I'm still a manager now, I'm significantly more equipped to handle difficult students and handle difficult employees and and push people without figuring out the right level you want to push people and and all the stuff that comes from, I think, a good teacher or a good manager. There are a lot of overlaps. On, on the hiring side, you know, at Flatiron School, because I had seen such the power of junior developers and junior talent, we were creating so much. I was fully on board with let's hire some junior talent and train them. It is. Um, because I'm a great trainer. I'm a teacher. I'm very comfortable with that. Love doing it. Um, and so I brought that over to, to Ribbon and it's been good and bad. And so I, I think it's, it's a double-edged sword a little bit. So one point we found out is I knew this kind of coming in, but I was hoping it wasn't true, which is just when you're a new, brand new startup and we're just getting going, it's really hard to allocate the resources to teach someone on how to do something. Mm. Um, and so you have to figure out what that bar is. I think often it can be more junior than you think, right? You don't need a Facebook engineer with 30 years of experience to build a basic CRM, right? Or a basic kind of create, read, update, delete uh, app. Um, but... You, you do need enough experience for it. They're able to really work independently. Um, and that's part because we're a small company, right? We're six employees. Um, and then it's 10x when you go to remote, when you go to um, both remote and especially offshore. Right. Ultimately, right. I think managing offshore folks is technical management, engineering management on hard mode. And so you need to stack the deck in your favor as much as you can because you're stepping into playing on hard mode. And so <laughs> I think 
I think it's really, really hard to have junior offshore talent, especially to small company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering two things. Uh, the first I'm wondering is, does that challenge improve if you also have um, if you kind of have an offshore team, right? So, or at least a pair, right? Where Absolutely. there is a senior member in the same room or time zone, right? Those are two different things, and but language. is that right? The same language. Do those things ease the burden that you're talking about? It's a great point. And you're, it does. Absolutely. So okay. if you have a senior dev who's in Poland and speaks Polish, and then you end up, you could, I think you definitely could bring a junior dev on in that speaks the same language. And what's important here is that the, the lever is the language, not the time zone or the location. Oh, okay. So I, that's okay. I, I, I understand it now that you say it out loud. Um, but before you said it out loud, I wouldn't have, um, yeah, the, I would have put time zone as an important, it is it, important, but you're saying the language is the lever. The, the lever language is month. the whole thing. Yep. Um, okay. sure. It's more convenient if they're on the same time zone. Absolutely. I'm not, and it's more convenient if they're in the same city and they can meet up and there's, you can build some in person culture. That's phenomenal. Absolutely. But the thing that is the most important is the language side. Um, and, and so, you know, any way you cut it, once you have an offshore team, you are committing to a more asynchronous culture. You are committing to a, um, more ha- more written culture versus a more spoken culture. And so what that means is you're going to have to tackle the time zone issue no matter how you cut it. So that if a few hours time zone between two Polish speakers in Europe is not going to be a big deal because you're already, if you're doing this right as a remote team, you're already tackling the time zone mm-hmm. issue. Okay. So um, I, I want to, I want to, so we've talked a little bit about um some of the missteps that you took and some of the the kind of iterations that you went through um i want to i want to start to talk about kind of pivoting towards uh things that are going well or or even if you're still learning right what what you are doing well and so my my first question is um you had mentioned you switched from the 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 kind of third parties that help you find these employees right you yeah. you switched from hiring one off contractors to using um staffing whether agencies, it was agencies or ha- yeah. like, what um now are you still using um kind of like agencies to help you recruit and is that do you think um working well or are you still iterating through the how you find the human beings piece of this we're still iterating on it the thing that you know the realization is to find the best talent in the same exact way in the U.S., to find the best talent, often it's an outbound game. Mm-hmm. It's you're going to be reaching out to people, you're going to be building a network and all that to find the best talent. Yeah. Right? I mean, unless, right, sure, unless you're Facebook or Meta or whatever. I mean, Facebook or Google, of course, they get a bunch of inbound. But right, for most right. of us, for it's us. an outbound game, <laughs> right. right, and a network game. And that is true in remote and offshore as well. And so you have to figure out how do I solve the network and the outbound problem? And the easiest way to do that is an age. There's a few different models, um, and I can go into it if it's interesting. But there's an either it's a staffing agency or a recruiting agency um, who has the people, the language, and the location to do that outbound game for you. 
in theory, I could, um, this is on my list of things to try out, is like, could I do the outbound game from the US knowing only English? Maybe, I haven't tried it yet. Um, but it's just like it in the US where it's an outbound game and that's how you find the best talent. Um, and so we've been pretty happy with our staffing agency that we've used to, to find folks. Uh, we have some folks in Poland and some folks in, in uh, Colombia. Um, been pretty happy with them to help us do all that and, and you know, they made it happen. And the key to it is that it's not like, it's so nice. You go on Upwork and you post a job and you go to sleep and you wake up and you have 40 proposals from people who like seem reasonable. Uh, and that is addicting because that is, it feels magic. Right. Right, right. Cause you could have, right. a, you could go from a job posted to work started in three days. feels like magic. Um, but if you're looking for someone that's a long-term relationship, it's pretty similar to engineering hiring in the U S it's a 90 day game. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and so right. you just have to be ready for that even, and it, it's a little bit difficult because, uh, all the staffing agencies and recruiting agencies can be kind of expensive. Right. Um, right. But it's a, I mean, I could go into it. It's a de-risked opportunity, so it's not that bad. Right. Now, now, are these folks that you are now bringing on offshore, are they full-time employees? Yep. Okay. Yep. They're all full-time employees. Um, due to kind of how the staffing agency situation works, right now they're all hourly, technically. Um, we'll probably move them to salaried, normal employees. Okay. There's a bunch so of that, legal stuff I'm figuring that like I have you have to sift through. Right, right, right. Because there's lots of employment laws that are different in different countries about how you onboard someone. Uh, the rules are on how you offboard someone, and yep. that can be a whole nother conversation. But um, you know, it is very important once you're once you're talking about hiring folks as employees to really thoroughly um, again have a connection to someone that really understands that stuff. Absolutely. Um, because to protect your business and the employees and everyone involved, it's really important to understand what all of the, the local laws are. And to be clear, this is a well-trodden path. Mm -hmm. So it feels right. intimidating. It felt intimidating to me because I was like, I know nothing about the legal system in Poland. Um, I don't know anyone else in Poland. How am I ever going to figure this out? But it's a well-trodden path. Um, lots of lawyers out there can help you with it. There's services like remote.com or deal. Justworks okay. is about to launch, um, I think, that's some in, in, an international contracting product. So ah, there's okay. products out there that make this happen. So it is, I would say, complicated, but it's well-trodden. A bunch of people do it, and you'll be fine. Yeah, I think I think that's just that, that dichotomy between... I, I know intellectually that this is a problem that other people have walked the path, yet it is still daunting to yeah. go down that path yourself. Um, and I think a lot of it... It has to do with well, um, it's it's so far away physically. Even though you can log into JustWorks and get a contract, yeah. there's something about the <laughs> physical distance that makes it seem absolutely. Um, it's not just physically, and it's also a cultural difference. Because all of a sudden you'll run across things, and it'll be in Polish, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to translate this, whatever. Anyway, so like a lot of these services kind of go that way, and you're ultimately trusting a third party to yep. make sure it's fine, but. I don't know. That's how all lawyers work. You always trusting right. the lawyers doing exactly. the law correctly in the U.S. Exactly. Um, so then, how about um, um, from a culture perspective? Um, have you or do you plan to um, spend time 
uh, with with the folks in other countries, right? Because I think that's another thing that people have talked with me about over the last two years is how do you um, think about uh, co-location now that teams are more hybrid and more distributed than before? I mean, there are many companies that have been global for decades, right? So this, again, this is not a new um, phenomenon, but it is a, a a more adapted phenomenon of of smaller companies being more yeah, distributed. Got easier, you know, for sure. So what, like again, you you have a, um, you know, uh, a small startup, right? You, you're hiring folks in other countries. Like, how do you see? So okay, so now you figure out how to find folks that are are in it for the long run with you. And so now, how do you build that team culture when you're so far apart? So. There's two categories of work you do, right? There's the work you do remotely. So that's the work you're doing every day. It's the it's the kind of routines of your engineering practice. It's um, the routines of your social practice and all that. And so we, we can talk about that. And then there's the in-person culture building, which is the easiest one is you fly everyone to some central location and have a great weekend together. Right, right. Um, you know, that latter one is one a little bit expensive and we're still, you know, trying to cash efficient. And, and so that's always a consideration, but it's valuable. So it's on the table. And then two, just to be honest on our team, our, a lot of people on our team have kids and young kids. And so doing a time where we take them away, like it's not just away for the day, right? It'd be away for four days away from their kids is tough. Um, you know, not everyone has childcare, parents nearby, right. a spat like, and so we're trying to be cognizant both of the toll to people who have kids and, and other kind of family requirements, as well as of course the financial toll of it. I would love to get us to put to come together. I think there's a chance we might do it, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Europe. Um, I'm not sure, but that is one option. And then the other one that, that we practice every day is both our asynchronous engineering and, and kind of day-to-day practice um, and our asynchronous kind of social practices. Um, and so one thing we're starting to do more of is, um, and this feels silly, is game time. Um, so, you know, once a month or maybe other month, we're doing like a bunch of games you can play from home that we're playing together. One of them, mm-hmm. code names is great. There's yep. a bunch of them. I think one part that's hard about an async culture is you have to schedule fun. Yeah. Which feels lame, really ridiculously lame. Um, but if you don't do it, then you never get to ever make any deposits in the relationship bank. You're just always asking for this and that. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty adamant about every Monday. We always go to people's weekend and we actually try and figure it out. And we're, people are posting photos of them and their kids and what they're did. And um, you have to do a lot of social interaction and social effort that you get for free naturally in an in-person office, you actually have to put thought behind it and usually some calendar appointments behind it, which feels lame and weird um, and unnatural, but it's the only way it works. No, I absolutely agree. And I think I think folks are still figuring out best practices here. I mean, even you know, for Stride, we have everyone is in the U.S. and as a company, we 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 still struggle to get together as much as we want because of those same constraints, right? Because now there's plane flights and hotels involved. There's time away from children and spouses and duties at home, and at the same time, you miss all of those. Uh, no one no one commutes together. No one 
yep. tra- travels to lunch together, right? So you miss all of those small social interactions. And so scheduling fun, to me, um, I think that part of our, our work culture is here to stay. And I think it's so important. And And like, I think one of the problems is like, who owns scheduling the fun? It has to be from incredibly high up on leadership. Ugh. I yeah. think uh, right? otherwise, exactly. Otherwise, uh, it'll come off as like, I'm paying you to play video games for an hour. And so I think it has to come from pretty, pretty high up um, or someone who has a lot of on like political abilities in the because okay. otherwise okay. it feels ridiculous that it's Absolutely. literally on the calendar that we're going to play games together. Yes. And I think, I think this is like, if you are a technology leader listening to this conversation, um, I think the one big thing that, that we can all do is like, okay, what can we do uh, in the next 30 days to schedule fun? Yeah. Right. Because it doesn't have to be the whole company. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It can be who wants to play a game of remote code names and people will show up. Because Codenames is fun and it is very easy to play remotely. And there's a great website which is with an incredible domain name, horsepaste.com. Okay. And, and it is Codenames Online and it works perfectly. Okay. Okay. Um, it's I love amazing. It. Every, like, you get you get like a unique URL. Everyone's on that unique URL. It uses sockets to like, keep everything updated. Um, and it has just an incredible domain name of horsepaste.com. And so if you, it's the easiest one to play online, it works perfectly. You lose nothing by being in, by being online versus in person. That's my, my, you know, number one tip, horsepace.com. Right. Paste. And we'll link that. Well, in the, we'll link that in the notes as well. Yeah. So people can go click on it. Um, amazing. Uh, with that, I think we're, uh, sadly about time. Um, but this has been such a fun conversation. Um, really value your insights, your your willingness to share the things that you learned, that you did well, that you're still learning, and uh, just really appreciate your time. So thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Debbie. Take care. Hey, everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.